Well, I'm excited for the uh, kickoff to the ministry season. Again, it's always great to have a, a season of rest uh, to get ourselves uh, recuperated and, and now to, to be back to, to having family night and small groups again, to, to be able to, to offering ministries and doing outreach. Uh, I, I'm excited for that. And, and today we begin a year-long journey uh, into the story of God. We're going to take a look and see how this book, the Bible, God's Holy Word, fits together as one cohesive story. That is, we, as we go through every week, we're going to continue to highlight the key parts of God's Word and the characters uh, and events that happen and see how all of this is connected together. And just like any good story... We know there are certain elements, right? Things like a plot, a setting, a character. There's, there's rising action. There's a climax. There's falling action. And there's a resolution. And, and God's word is no different that it has all of those elements together. And as we go through, what we're going to see that all of God's word is overshadowed by his, 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 his authority, by his sovereign power and plan. It's overshadowed by his character of grace and mercy, uh, kindness and love and justice. And that in all of this, God continues to have a heart for his rebellious and wayward people who though we despite to continue to fight against God, God loves us so dearly that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for that. And, and, and as we go through, we're going to weave how God is part of this process uh, all the way through in Christ and how we live in our day-to-day -day lives with him in his joyous presence. And so every story, every religion, every person has a, has a once upon a time, has a in the beginning where I was born and it has incredible implications for you and I on how we define the beginning. It's incredibly important that we set ourselves on a particular path. And when I say particular path, what I mean is that we set ourselves on the right path in terms of the beginning. Because if we set ourselves from the very beginning down the wrong path, we are going to be so far completely away from where God wants us to be. And so we're going to take a look at, you know, who is it that we are and why do we exist today uh, and understanding which path we should be on. And, and our kids have started school and, and some kids are starting this week. And, and Catalina had this question that she had to deal with. And the question was, is origins a scientific, historical or theological question. And I thought, boy, what a way to start the school year. I mean, that is a weighty question to have to try to work through, not only for us as individuals, but even collectively as a society, how we answer that question is incredibly, incredibly important. And so there is great value and importance that we start off on the right beginning. Because see, this world has so many different kinds of creation stories of how this world came to be. And even in various religions, there is a myriad of different creation stories itself. So some religions don't even have one particular creation story, but they have multiple ways of how the earth has come to be and, and what it means for mankind. So how do I know 
where to begin with all of these different stories, or, or maybe more importantly, how do I know where I began? Because see, in Babylon, they had what was called the, the Enuma Elish, where you had the god Ipsu and the god Tiamat, who were the god of the salt water and the god of the fresh water. And they came together, and they began to produce other gods. And those gods began to fight one another until Marduk emerged as the supreme god. And then Marduk decided he was going to create the heavens and the earth and create mankind. In ancient Egypt, you had Nu, who was this lifeless uh, chaos of water that existed. And out of Nu came Atum, who then decided to create the world. Or in ancient Greece, all that existed in the beginning was the god chaos, this swirling sea of nothingness. And then out of chaos uh, emerged Gaia and Tarsus and Eros, the goddess of love and the underworld and the goddess of uh, the god of uh, earth. And those gods began to produce other gods. And then eventually out of those gods came mankind. The Chinese have a story that inside an egg was also a swirling abyss of nothing. And inside that egg, the forces of yin and yang battled each other until eventually when yin and yang came into balance, they produced what was or who was known as Panku. And Panku emerged out of the egg and created the world. Islam says that Allah has created everything. And in Hinduism, it's the Brahma who creates the universe. And then there's the, the god Vishnu, who has the power to sustain it. And then there's Shiva, who has the power to destroy the universe. But because Hinduism believes in a cycle of reincarnation, that it's good that Shiva destroys this world because the Brahma gets to recreate all over again. And for a lot of people who have no sense of religion or faith, they look at the world that a, that a bang had, had been created and out of this came these, these individual molecules and that out of the sea emerged these single cell organisms that life evolved over time. And what does the Judeo-Christian faith say? Well, that's where we go to the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you guys can open to that. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And when it says that God creates, it literally means out of nothing. Nothing existed, and God decided to create. And God created whatever it was that he desired to create. So we had nothing, and then something came to be because of the will of God. And at first it was a vast formless matter. In the original Hebrew, it calls it a wasteland that was completely uninhabited. And then what does God begin to do? 
piece by piece, day by day. We, we understand these as six literal days of, of a, a sun and a moon rising 24 hours. This is not a, a figurative, you know, epic of history or thousands of years. But we're talking in six days God started to create and he created the, the seas and the land and the sky and he creates the animals and the birds and all of the plants and he creates the stars and the sun and the moon. God does all of that and after six days, God looks at what he creates and he says, this is good. He says, this is very good. And he says, I'm going to take a break. So God rests. And then in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over all the creations that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, over the seas and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God makes mankind. He makes male and female, and he blesses them. And he, he says, be fruitful, multiply, go and rule over this creation that I've made for you. And so God gives life to all things. And in six days, we have creation. Again, our, our creation account is just one of many that exists in this world. There's a multitude. I could have kept going on and on and on about all of the different stories that exist. But again, we're wrestling with this question of, so which one? Why, why is it the one of the Christian faith that we hold on to so dearly? Again, that question Catalina had to deal with is origins a scientific, historical, or theological question? It absolutely needs to be a theological question. Because what does science do? Science tells us how something works, right? Science is, is limited by observation and experiment, right? That I, I can't prove something unless I can test it that it happens again and again and again and again. That's, that's how science is meant to function. Science can't tell us about morality, though. Science can't tell us about what is right or wrong. And so the problem happens is that we take something that functions in terms of laws and mechanics, and then we try to give it a voice of reason, and we ask it to dictate our lives. And so any attempt by science that tries to postulate the origins of the world, it can't be done. It's always going to, be, it's always going to fail. Because science can't test the beginning of time. There's no experiment that can be done. We can't recreate it in a lab. We, we can't put it in a test tube. And so science is going to fail. What about history? I mean, I love history, right? History tells us what happened in the past, and what do we do with history? We, we, we analyze it, we ask questions, and we try to create understanding of why what happened. But history is also limited. It's limited to the sources and documents and witnesses that are available. And the problem with history is it's always open to interpretation. 
You know, they say history is written by the winners. Well, history is always open to um, revisions as well. So in one sense, we look at history as a set of facts, but what do we find? It seems those facts are always changing on us. And if we allow history to dictate our origins of when time began, well, you know what? That's always going to be changing based on someone else's perspective and view. So history can't solve this problem. And so we're left with it as a a theological question, a study of God, that if we can understand who God is, God will explain to us how we came to be and why we are here and why this whole world exists and how we're to move forward. Well, we can easily run into a, a theological problem, though, because many are going to argue, but but isn't God subjective? I mean, there's so many different gods and goddesses and religions and faith. Uh, I mean, can't we all just pick whatever one we want? I mean, can't you have your religion and I have mine? I mean, how do we even know that God exists? So those are some arguments that we have to be able to wrestle through and deal with. So let's talk through some of those. First off, does does God exist? Well, if we go with the idea that God does not exist, then what happens? Then you and I get to play God. Because see, if God doesn't exist, if there's no higher authority than you and I, then who becomes the authority except me? And if there's no overarching purpose or authority, then what does life become? Well, life becomes all about my own happiness. And that's all I should be consumed with. And so if we get to that point that life is all about my happiness, why am I upset with world wars and dictators? Because aren't they doing exactly what everyone else is trying to do? which is maximizing their own happiness? Uh, I mean, if it's all about happiness and somebody wants to do drugs and alcohol, and, and heaven forbid, but, but I say this, that if somebody wanted to commit suicide, why do we stop them? If they believe that is their best life, why do we step in if nothing else matters except our own happiness? So if God doesn't exist, then neither does morality. Now, some will try to argue, but morality does exist. That as human beings, we all have this common idea about what's right and wrong. Well, you know what? There's a problem with that. And it's the same thing that I already said about history. That everybody has their own sense of morality. And you want a perfect example? The institution of slavery was once an accepted custom but now is no longer accepted. So if that again is the case, whose morality are we going to choose? So again, we're left with the existence of no God puts us in a tough predicament. It really just becomes, you know, the the, the social Darwinism of either eat or be eaten. The survival of the fittest is really what it boils down to. And maybe you want to be good for the sake of being good. 
But that doesn't mean anyone else has to if there's no overarching perspective. So a life without God, to me, just seems like a free-for-all into disaster. So I cast that aside and said, I think there has to be something rather than nothing. But again, there's so many. There's so many to choose and so many to believe. And again, a lot of people like to argue that you and I can have two different, two different faiths and, and that's okay. Well, I also have a problem with that. Because every religion, every faith has its own sense of morality. It has its own sense of the gods. It has its own sense of creation. And many times, those are at odds with one another. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of religions that say they're the only way, including Christianity. So if there are multiple religions that say, I am the only way to true understanding, then what does that mean? Somebody else has to be wrong, right? I, I mean, we, we take Christianity that says there is a heaven and a hell, and that when you die, based upon your faith or lack of faith, will determine where you go, and that's it. But what does Hinduism say? Hinduism says that as you live your life, the goal is to become one with the ultimate source, the, the Brahma. And that, that if we live a good life, we get closer and closer. And if we don't live a good life, we get reincarnated again. And we go through this endless cycle of reincarnation again and again and again until we eventually get it right. So which one is it? Is, is life one and done, as Christianity says, or is life an endless cycle as Hinduism? They're not compatible. And what does Christianity say? That in the beginning, God existed. Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is the one that created. And what does Hinduism say? It was the Brahma. Well, listen, if there's only one God in the beginning... I can't have two gods. That's simple math. So which one am I going to choose? And so as we whittle this down, I heard this posed as a way to deal with this question. And, I, and I've, I've, it's stuck with me all these years. That when we need to figure out which religion I'm going to follow, which faith, am I going to choose a god or no god, we need to consider origins meaning, morality, and destiny. If we consider those four questions, that's going to lead us to where we need to go. How does life come to be? What purpose do I have? How do I choose between right and wrong? And what happens when I die? If I can find a cohesive reality to all of those questions together, I believe that's what's going to lead us to the ultimate truth. And so when we speak of origin, first off, there's, again, no God, but we've already dealt with that. There's the polytheistic versus the monotheistic. Do I believe that there are multiple competing gods out there that are constantly fighting for power that reads like a Hollywood script? Or do I believe that there was one God that made everything that made me in his image. And that's where I tend to settle. That there's one God that created me in his image. 
And here's what I also find interesting about a lot of these creation stories. Many of them begin very similar, and even the ones that I haven't read. Many of them begin with the premise that there's this vastness, this empty sea of nothingness that existed. And out of this chaos, this sea eventually comes life. And you know what's really interesting is that in in theology and in literature and in the culture, the sea comes to represent this very dangerous and wild and untamed place. The sea often becomes a symbol of what is evil. You know, 2004, a tsunami hit mostly Indonesia. Over 200,000 people died. That when the the tsunami hit the land, they said there were waves about 30 to 40 feet high. And it just decimated the land. And in 2005, we remember Hurricane Katrina killed 1,800 people and destroyed the city of New Orleans alone. And when we look at the scriptures, right, what did God do? God brought a flood to destroy sinful humanity. God God parted the Red Sea and allowed his people to go through, and then he consumed the Egyptian army. You know, it was the Sea of Galilee that that the waves and the storm rose, that God, that Christ had to call out and calm down, and it was the same Sea of Galilee where Peter began to drown. Psalm 69 says, Save me, O Lord, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. So here's what I find. It's extremely interesting that the sea is a picture of disorder and chaos. But yet, where do most stories begin? That order came out of chaos. Most religions and faiths will tell you that out of the madness, all of a sudden emerged the cosmos, which is the meaning for origin. You know, I think we all know it takes a force of an agent to create. Right? The, there's the popular philosophical uh, element of the watchmaker, right? That if I took a watch and I took all of its individual pieces on a table, it's not like all of a sudden that watch is just going to magically put itself together and start working, right? The odds of that are so ridiculous. And I think probably a better example, especially for anyone that has kids or grandkids, I mean, Don't you feel like you live in a world of chaos with children sometimes? I mean, if there weren't parents, the mess would never get cleaned up. I've never once seen my child's toy truck drive itself to the shelf. I've never once seen my kid's pair of pants get up and walk themselves, fold themselves, and put themselves in the drawer. It does not happen. So why do we continue to believe that order came from chaos. I think that's probably why we still feel like we're living in a world of chaos, because we believe something that's not true. But what does the Bible tell us? Disorder never existed with God. Because God existed, 
And then God created the void. God was always the master of all creation from the very beginning. From the very start, there was always order and there was never chaos. Again, it's not like there was nothing and life happened. What we had was God and then life came to be. So Christianity sets us apart. What about meaning and morality? Because a lot of religions and a lot of faith hold very similar moral views about what is right and wrong and what's evil and what's sinful and all the vices that you should stay away from. Right? Christianity is not unique in telling people to love one another and care for the widows and the poor. But when we think about meaning and morality and purpose, what religion often tells us is you should be good. You should do kind to others. We should honor the gods and the goddesses. All of those things are not different, but what happens is why does the world tell us to do it is much different than why we're called to do it. See, the world says this, that our goodness exists for the purpose that in man's own works, he can achieve blessing. He can achieve salvation. That my sacrifices, my offerings, my praise are all really an attempt to conjure up good favor with God. That, that if I do what God wants me to do, then I will get from God what I've been seeking after. That, that I'm living a life in a way that really just becomes a, a ritualistic set of do's and don'ts. And when we make life a set of do's and don'ts, we really just look at God as a gatekeeper that stands there with a tally mark and says, here's our merits and here's our demerits. He says, that was good and that was bad. And he just keeps this ongoing list. But what does Christianity say? Christianity is really the only one that's going to highlight the sinfulness and depravity of man. Because, see, Christianity is the only one that's going to tell us the absolute truth. It's going to be the only one that says life is not a scale of good or bad and how much you can do right, because the reality is none of us could ever do enough right. Because at the very core of who we are are sinful and evil people. That at the very core of our hearts, we can never, ever do enough good. So the world says that our selfish goodness should motivate God's goodness to better us. That's what the world says. But see, the reason we exist is not for the betterment of our own lives. The reason why we exist is for the glory of God. And the reason why we glorify God is because God first extended his goodness to us and showed us how amazingly majestic he is. And it's out of that goodness 
that I respond to God's goodness with glory and praise. And it's out of God's goodness to me that I understand that I now extend goodness to others so they may see the glory of God. That's what makes Christianity unique. And when we talk about our destiny, for many, again, eternity is the scale of good and bad. It's all about winning the score. It comes down to that in the end, if I come out on top, if I've done more good than bad, then I get the hope. I get the hope that just maybe God will be gracious to me and I will find eternal life. And it's interesting that their hope is really just a hope that is predicated on that I do enough, have I been a good person, and I sure hope that God lets me in in the end. They're basing their hope on a hope. And again, where does Christianity set itself apart? It says, again, you can't ever come out on top. You can't ever do enough. You're never going to be good enough because you're not a good person. So something else has to happen. An agent of change must come in. And so what did God do? What did Yahweh do? He said, you you, you can't save yourself, so I'm going to save my people. You know, many religions have a God that stands aloof. He stands there from afar and he just kind of watches with his arms crossed and saying, come on, come on, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll give you something. Maybe if you do the right ritual, maybe if you make the right sacrifice, maybe if you say the right prayer, just maybe. But that's not what our God does. Our God saw us and he saw our sinfulness. And our God said, I want my children back. And so he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. He sent his son to save us. We have no other example where a God steps in to sacrifice himself for his people. And here's the other thing. We don't view our eternity with a hope on a hope we view our eternity with a certainty. Because what has the scriptures told us? What has Christ told us? That if you are willing to humble yourself, if you are willing to recognize your sinfulness, if you are willing to recognize the shedding of my son's blood on the cross, that he died for you, if you are willing to submit to his will, what does he do? He says, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And you don't ever have to worry if that's going to unlock the door or not. So when I view this world and all of the different paths that we could start out on, and I have to decide who has the authority of creation 
Again, I consider origins, meaning, morality, and destiny. And when I look at all of those, and I find what Christianity has to tell me, what I find what Genesis 1 has to tell me, what I find what all of God's word has to tell me about those ideas and about where I began and where I am heading, there is no more of a perfect picture of the reality than what Christ has told me. Because see, in the end, there's no other faith that gives me a better picture of the depth of my soul and the reality of what it is that I'm a sinful human being. And no other religion proves the greatness of God than by his unconditional love by sending his son to the cross. So as we begin God's story, it's vitally important that we start on the right path. And where does it start? A God who loved the world. A God who loved his creation. A God that was willing to die to have it back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that I can have full confidence in you. Lord, because what I see a world apart from you is a world of disaster. Lord, all I've seen is a world that is apart from you is an endless cycle of, of death, a fight for power that guises itself under the name of goodness. But Lord, goodness existed and was created with you. Lord, love was created and established by you. And Lord, as the world tries to tell us differently, I'm thankful that my hope is a certainty. That I can trust your word, that your scripture will tell me everything that I need to know about the direction of which this world is heading and how I am graciously and mercifully apart because of your forgiving and loving nature. Amen.